morning again from me from the road. Um, it's super early. Well, it's actually late in terms of my normal timing, but it's half past six in the morning and I'm on the way to work. Um, for those that haven't worked it out, um, I'm Australian and at the moment in Australia, pretty much the whole of the, the main state, um, the, the big state that Sydney's in, New South Wales is burning to the ground. Um, the weather has just gone completely haywire, but uh, summer, before it even turned summer, we were still officially in spring. We had 42 degree days and um, bushfires started sort of popping up uh, maybe over a month ago now. And uh, because we've had such a dry uh, winter, we've had a drop. Well, we've had a drought for years and years, but it was exceptionally dry. And then we got a little bit of rain, and everything sprung up, which then dried off again and turned into even more fire fuel. And yeah, about a month ago, maybe a little bit more, everything started just catching on fire all over the place. Uh, central coast of New South Wales was particularly bad. There was some other ones further north, and then. Um, a couple of big ones broke out just near me, uh, where I live, uh, down near the nation's capital. And um, for the last uh, week and a half, um, the one, there's a, a huge one near me. I think it's at about uh, what's that, 130,000 acres or more. Um, most of it has been national parks, which is. Uh, everybody says, well, that's okay, you know, it's better, a better scenario because there's no people losing their houses or homes and nobody dying, but all of the wildlife is just getting uh, either displaced or killed, which is absolutely horrible. I'm a, definitely an animal person. Um, in fact, I think I trust animals more than I trust humans most of the time, but that's another story. Um, yeah, that's, it's been pretty gnarly close by and then uh, where I can drive to the east and drive down to the, the coast to the, the beaches, uh, that road's been cut by fires and actually there's been another enormous fire, same thing, over two, 200,000 acres I believe burnt um, and this one is impacting on coastal, little coastal villages and towns there's people losing houses and there's thankfully I don't think we've heard of any deaths down this way yet I know further up north there's been six or eight people killed um, it's just crazy um, I guess the point of all of this is the uh, we've never seen there's been a few reports uh, there was one day a month ago or two months ago now where it was the first day in recorded history Australia did not receive a single drop of rain anywhere on the, the entire continent. Um, and then there's been all the usual reports of um, the uh, highest temperatures recorded on a certain day or even weirdly the lowest temperatures. Um, the I, I did a big charity ride where um, we did 450 kilometres in three days and one of those days it was 42 degrees and the next day it was 35 and we rode uh, those days one of the locations we rode to the week before was snowed in um, basically at the end of spring coming into summer and it's just bizarre the weather patterns are all over the place and 
meteorologists and um, climate change experts and everybody has basically said this is just everything's going to hell in a handbasket um, and yet there's still people that say nope this is all perfectly normal it happens all the time and it clearly doesn't because if it happened all the time it would be recorded and in recorded history it's not and they fall back on well before you know records were started we can go back and look at you know the, the cycles and I agree things go through cycles to a degree but the the ebbs and flows and the changes have been absolutely nothing short of mind-blowing um, I think the problem is nobody's really set for it so and I'm pretty good with the heat but then I'm not very good with the cold so um, every winter it has seemed for me at, at times uh, harsher but Every summer, even though I'm good with heat, is definitely seeming harsher. Like, I'm noticing there's more, what's the word, sharp heat, I guess. Um, and it's it's quicker and it's more brutal in the way that it comes on. And it's the sign of the times. And we've, I'm a firm believer that we've done this to ourselves, uh, the way we've treated the earth. And uh, I think there's too much population-wise on this earth um, to... to call on its resources so mother nature's a bit pissed at us and she's just wreaking havoc so um, the fires are, are heartbreaking uh, I drive to work and I see fire trucks going the other way fire crews that are volunteering to drive way out of their normal range just to go and fight these monsters and um, get them under control and save people's homes and save lives and save animals and things like that and um uh, breaks my heart and I don't know what I can do I you know I donate to the the firefighters and I you know if there's fundraisers going on that's where my money goes if it can and things like that and but it's I think it feels futile so I feel a bit helpless um, on the ride that we've set up for ourselves so there's always more we could do you know I could not have any cars I could walk everywhere I could uh, not buy petroleum based things this that and the other to slow down the flow of money to that industry oh, there's all the different arguments just to save the environment but um, sadly I think we've made this bed we've got a lie in it and I guess one of the other thoughts is um, I don't have kids I can't have kids um, and a little while ago I suddenly got thankful for that and this sounds a bit selfish but uh, not so much for me but I'm glad I'm not bringing a child into this world because whatever they're going to grow up with long after I've gone is not going to be cool um, literally it's not going to be pretty um, but yeah people's kids and their kids later on and things like that it's it's a whole and that they will adapt humans are good at adapting but um, there was a report I saw the other day where there's only 60-something uh, crop cycles left, or um, I'm trying to get the word, but basically where we can turn the earth over 60-odd seasons before the earth itself runs out of nutrients just in the topsoil. Um, so if we haven't got a solution to how we're going to grow crops, you know, whether it's corn or wheat or whatever it might be but growing anything in the next 60 seasons um, the earth's screwed I mean if, if that's the 
the true prediction. There's always predictions that, you know, back in the 60s, I oh, will run out of, I think it was oil or something within 10 years, and then in the 70s, we'll run out of water within 10 years, and everybody, there's always a, a prediction that's a, a little bit off, but uh, most of them have basis where, whilst we haven't run out, we're about, you know, they were kind of close and it's going to happen. Um, if that's true about the crops, um, 60 years, even if they get that wrong, say it's 100 years, that's only two generations, two young generations-ish, and then what do we do? So, this place is a worry, and the fires, that's part of being in Australia. Um, we're known for our bushfires, we're known for our resilience to bounce back. Bushfires are a way of life, they are required to um, burn certain uh, plants where they can then seed once they've had the heat of a bushfire and the burning off and the changing of the, the soils and things like that. Um, so it comes with the territory, but um, the natural way of having a bushfire to do that is a lot smaller than all of this craziness that we're seeing now. So um, yeah, it's been being taken to the next level um, and it's pretty bloody scary and I feel sorry for all the people that are, I, I do see people that live in bush environments that um, aren't prepared, they just think living in the bush is a nice natural way to go, which is true, but they have trees sitting on their houses, they have wood stacked up next to their houses, they've got um, gas bottles sitting outside and sheds full of fuel and things like that and then when this all comes through they wonder why um, yeah if you're going to live in the bush you've got to be prepared so um, whilst I live in a, a little village in a country town in the bush it's, it's in a village so it's somewhat safer I will my family home is out in the bush um, and I will eventually move back to that and I know as soon as I get there or before I get there there'll be I'll be going back to it to make sure that there's um, plenty of fire-based stuff put in place uh, to make it easier um, to look after animals and get out of there if it all gets really bad and hopefully save the house and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. But um, having all these fires go past me day in, day out and watching the fires on the news and the various apps and seeing them, there's one that's only 10 miles from me um, and I can see what it's doing and it's a it's a behemoth um the world we live in huh here's a pithy little thought um for those of you that have netflix i would uh highly recommend you have a look at a little thing that came out regardless of where you stand um called the Game Changers movie, which is, um, it's, uh, pro, I won't say it's pro-vegan, but it's, uh, certainly leans that way, um, and I'm not, I'm a, I'm an omnivore, I eat everything, um, I do believe in a, a good healthy, uh, meal now and then of meat, but I'm starting to change my tune, um, and uh, when this particular documentary came out, um, it got rave reviews and um, naturally enough when something that's particularly 
biased to one side comes out, then people from the other side come out and try and debunk it and tear it to shreds and whatever. And there's been um, some very well-researched arguments, um, not even arguments, um, proof and results and studies done um, towards the, the vegan lifestyle, that sort of thing. Um, now, for the most part, for me, vegans traditionally tend, me, tend to drive me nuts. Um, every second thing is uh, about the vegan lifestyle, and if you're not a vegan, then you're wasting time on this earth, and you're not contributing to the well-being of the earth, and meat is death, and, and their passion uh, tends to go a little bit overboard and just about every single one you run into, if they've got an Instagram page or a Twitter or whatever, there's something about, you know, hashtag vegan for life, or they, they have to sprout it out. It's, it's almost like CrossFit. <laughs> um, I'm, and I'm certainly not having a, a complete shot at either of them. Um, <clears throat> but in amongst all of that, there are people that live what I would call very standard productive lives or even very um, ambitious and uh, forward thinking and uh, forward moving lives um, some very top level athletes and people of note um, and that are, are vegan or um, vegetarian at least um, that are happy and healthy and well researched and yeah so um a wonderful doctor I know put me onto the uh, the Game Changers movie, and she's vegan, but she's not uh, one that goes around preaching and sprouting off um, to everybody, and she's not browbeating people down with a vegan lifestyle. She's just very intelligent and well versed, and she knows what's good, and she gave it to me as an option to look at, and. It bears a lot of uh, weight that it's worth looking at. Um, so I definitely recommend that one. Um, how I even got onto thinking this was just uh, basically being healthier and better. And I know my body reacts better when I'm eating a lot more leafy greens and um, that sort of thing. So yeah, that's uh, that's one that I really think. Um, Normally, I think we spend too much time just watching mindless television, and it's just the the flickering box in the corner, and it's you can wind up going down rabbit holes of cat videos on YouTube and all that other sort of business, and Facebook suck, sucks you in with, or is that suckers you in um, with uh, just stuff that takes you from place to place that really isn't contributing to your overall better day so when things like this come out I think it's worth a shout out just as a something I think people should have a quick eyeball at and as whatever company it was ever coined the ad please consider It's, um, I know when I was growing up, which was a long time ago, uh, 
the modern uh, petrol engine as it was back then, whether it be uh, fitted to two wheels or four wheels, um, was something that you were taught um, if you want to look after the thing, you have to warm it up correctly in the morning and always check your oil levels and coolant levels and service the thing and adjust your brakes and if maybe mechanically most people weren't taught uh, the, the more in-depth stuff but certainly pretty much everybody knew how to change a wheel, uh, could check their oil, could check their coolant, knew to keep an eye on their um, car's behaviour via the various gauges on the dash. Um, if they drove somewhere they you know, knew where to to look to tell them how much petrol they had on board. They knew their range of their car, they knew how to put air in their tyres and they could get from A to B safely and efficiently and if something went wrong they knew generally how to deal with it. So um, I'll agree that modern engines now have definitely changed in terms of um, their requirements for warming up and cooling down and uh, things like that. It's, it's okay, they're, they're definitely built, uh, I don't know if better is the right word, but they're built to different tolerances and they behave differently now that you can jump into something and, and instead of warming up for 15 or 20 minutes and until the old-fashioned uh, black gold in the sump warmed up, now it's the new oils are certainly um, quicker to warm and thinner and stuff like that. So you can jump in a car and and give it a certain amount of warm up uh, and then move off. However, I think people aren't just aren't getting taught how these things operate, and they don't even do that in that they'll get into their car, give it about two seconds, and then make off at a fair old pace, um, and place the car under some pretty reasonable duress. And then uh, the difference is, uh, I think, an old car would protest and either seize or throw a hissy fit and slow down or something like that, or would at least let you know that you're hurting it. The new ones. I think, I won't say they don't care about it, but uh, I think there's so many parameters that are built into them that um, they don't bother really telling you that uh, you shouldn't just jump into a thing and take off like a bat out of hell. Um, I had a guy come into work who's owned, uh, I work at a car dealership uh, on the servicing side of things currently, and we had a guy come in who's owned a car for 10 years and didn't realize it, it was a hybrid, it has an automatic stop-start um, feature, as per most hybrids, and runs off battery most of the time, therefore you don't even hear the thing. And he didn't realize the big green light on the dash that says ready, means the battery's ready to go. And he's owned this car for 10 years. Um, he didn't even know what his car did, which I wanted to throttle the guy, but anyway, can't do that. I was always taught you can't get mad at people for being stupid. But um, even when uh, one of the service advisors was trying to educate him on how this has always worked in his car, he wouldn't believe it. And he doesn't know his own car yet, he's the expert and we're wrong. So what hope have we got? And young'uns these days um, 
don't know how to check oil levels, don't check tyre pressures, uh, don't bother, they don't even know that the car has coolant instead of water in it, um, all these different things. And I think cars now are turning into a bit of a throwaway commodity that you own a car, you keep it for three to five years, whatever your lease or loan agreement is, and then you trade up, trade off, sell thing off, and um, cars certainly wear out. The, the cars of yesteryear, the 60s, 70s, and 80s cars, if they're well maintained, you still see them running around, but there's very few cars that may be only 10 years old now um, that are, are running around in good condition and Generally, it's an enthusiast rather than just somebody who's been taught the basics that keeps these things running. So, um, consumerism maybe. Um, we're taught, you know, you've got to have a new car and all the safety features and what have you. Um, it's if it hasn't got 28 airbags and everything that makes your life so much easier where you can just jump in the car and be oblivious to the rest of the world and get on with. Um, thinking about your next social media post or um, you know buying the latest set of shoes for your work or whatever it might be um, I think yeah that and it comes back to my my love of driving cars um, that they're not just transport from A to B but they're actually an experience and you can enjoy them and you can enjoy the feelings and the sensations and whatever but I don't think that even that's getting taught now. Um, they're just seen, I guess, as a throwaway tool for some people. And I, another thing I always sort of wondered about is that people buy a forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollar car, which seems to be about the the normal range of um, of your mid-priced family vehicle, four-wheel drive, whatever. And then uh, once they're uh, factory cap price servicing or whatever which is generally very cheap is over and done with and they actually have to pay for the thing out of their pocket they whine and bitch and moan that um, these things are so expensive to run and the reality is if you put a little bit in here and there and uh, you look after the thing it won't cost you more than what it needs to in the long run but they do cost money and what were you expecting if you drop 60 grand on a, a vehicle it's not going to cost you $500 a year to run the thing it needs a little bit more love than that so and people don't also seem to want to do preventative maintenance or even look after their cars so it's uh, it's a frustration of mine you're probably hearing that but yeah just the thought do your research on what things are going to owe you. I don't think, uh, I think people also do it with houses where they buy a new house and 10 years later and they have to start repainting and changing gutters or mowing lawns or whatever it might be, you know, within six months of their grass growing and uh, people don't realise what's involved. Um, maybe some people shouldn't run with scissors in their hands. Something sad made the news uh, yesterday and on through the morning today um, that there were a bunch of tourists over at a, a smallish offshore island in New Zealand that uh, is known as, I think it's called White Island, but it's known as 
New Zealand's most active volcano and they take tours out there and there was a whole bunch of people on the island and actually in the, the volcano's uh, bowl, I'm trying to get the proper word for it, um, and without any warning the thing blew up and killed a bunch of people, which is incredibly sad that people die for, uh, well, just that people die, it's, they've got family and friends and everything. But um, they haven't finished searching for the bodies and that sort of thing because the island's still exploding and they can't get the emergency services on there. But uh, it's made the news and the, as sad as it is, um, if you're going to walk in the jaws of an active volcano and it happens to go off, that's the risk you take. So... Um, there's already an inference that over the next, or before 24 hours is out, that uh, over the next whatever, people are going to look at the tour companies that run things there and safety precautions and all the rest. If you're hand handling a live weapon and somebody gets shot or injured, you can kind of it's not the gun that hurts the person it's the person pulling the trigger if you're the person that wants to walk in a live volcano and the live volcano goes off be it on your head so I think accountability these days is um, going somewhat out the window that people do something I won't necessarily say that was stupid I would say that was adventurous and they've paid the ultimate price for it they knew the dangers um it doesn't, you would have to be deaf, dumb and blind to not know and probably not educated and to not know that a live volcano is unpredictable and it's live, it can go off. So it's a little bit, I don't know, I think this is the way that the world is going, that everybody uh, is generally wrapped up in cotton wool, not well versed, and then when they want to take a risk, they put the blame in somebody else's hands um, without either researching or weighing it up or whatever and we do it every day uh, we cross the road not at intersections or not with lights or we do with lights but we don't look um, and yet things like this can go wrong obviously so the old who is to blame well mother nature's probably one that's not going to lose a fight too often so if you're going to pitch yourself against her good luck to you um, I do every day I rode home uh, about 40 kilometers through the bush last night in fairly extreme heat and I was prepared for it I took the risk and if I'd run out of water and I had to walk a long way and if I'd had an injury or a mechanical I would have been in a little bit more strife but I'd done the the pros and cons, the pluses and minuses, and had backup plans and so on and so forth. Nobody can budget for everything, but when it does go wrong, sometimes you've just got to go, well, that put your hand up, that was you in that situation. And yeah, that's the way it's going to go. So sometimes you've just got to be careful. Here's a pithy thought. Um, I'm sure everybody's been driving along and they come up behind a car that has a decal 
or a um, like a little stick-on uh, fake road sign in the back window that says baby on board I've always wondered if that was put on there because uh, to warn people off like be a bit more careful about driving around me because you might crash into me and hurt my baby that's on board my car and my first thought is why aren't you being careful full stop regardless of who's in the car is a baby's life worth more than an adult life some would argue that I, I guess that's the point that they haven't had a chance to live yet so um, but human life in general is um, valuable and delicate and were you driving like a moron you then you suddenly saw the baby on board and you suddenly went oh I better drive much much better now because there's a baby on board and otherwise I'm free to go as hard as I want but if there's a baby on board then I'd better toe the line it's one of those little things that just and I don't know maybe also people are proud that they've just had a a newborn and they want to sort of show it off in some way shape or form which I kind of get that too but the the idea or the feeling that I get um, about the baby on board signs is that it's somebody trying to give themselves an even bigger buffer of getting into an accident and telling everybody to drive it drive more carefully and my argument is you should be driving super carefully all the time um, so if it takes a baby on board sticker or sign or something to make people do that that's probably a bit of a worry but um, and the other one is all the uh, stick figure families. There's been some funny um, takes on that one where they turn it around to a, obviously a broken or divorced household or they've got dinosaurs chasing down the stick figures or they've whatever it might be. But um, same thing, telling people how many uh, adults and kids and pets you've got in your house. Um, I don't know if you're bragging or if you're just letting people know that you can put a decal on your car. It's a weird one to me.